Welcome once again to the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. This is the show where we talk about everything transportation, anything that gets you from here to over there, whether it be your feet, a bus, a Maserati, a Learjet, whatever the case may be. I am the traffic anchor for Denver 7 News here in Denver, Colorado, Jason Luber. I am the pedestrian advocate, Joseph Peters. And Jason, I have put together my power rankings for favorite ways to get to work. Oh, really? Are you okay. ready for this? I'm ready for this. Uh, it goes bus walk, scooter, bicycle, and car ahead of all of them at number one. Oh, so we did that in reverse order. Yep, all right. absolutely. So the car is number one. Car scooter number coming one. in at? Scooter number two. Yes, of uh, course. It's nice, relaxing. You can feel the wind through your hair, all that good stuff. Yeah, uh, Especially as you're too. careening onto the sidewalk because somebody uh, got in front of you or you wrecked. You just feel good. Yeah. You just feel good. Until and- you get all scraped up on the pavement because you just fell off. Right, and so and then walking <laughs> walking is good too because it's a lot like oh, scootering yeah, sure. except no, it's slower. Walking, walking's great, and then buses last because there's so much walking associated with taking the bus. Yes, yeah, I'm not I'm not the bus fan. No, I just it's just not not for me. We do have a huge show today, including an interview with a, a guy from the company GeoTab who is he's honestly much smarter than both of us combined. Uh, he's here to talk about congestion across the country. Uh, we'll talk about connected vehicles. That's what they do. They really. Uh, geotab they connect vehicles mm-hmm. and uh so they get all this uh, analytic data and it's really fascinating to see what the congestion is like in all these different towns across the country and uh maybe we'll talk about what uh, maybe any solutions that he has to uh, all this congestion that Should we see fun. every day yep uh that's uh, in coming up in just a little bit but you know i'm back uh we took a week off i was on uh, sabbatical or on location on um uh what else do we call it on assignment Yes, on assignment. Yeah, there you go. Um, I was on assignment in Florida. So my flight was early on Monday when I left because I had all last week off. It was at 6.10 in the morning. Not so bad for me as we pretty much got up at my regular work time when I get up in the morning. So I, 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 was, I was feeling fine, but everybody else at the airport, seriously, was acting like it was the end of the world to be up that early in the morning. By the way, when did it become okay for young girls to look like they just woke up 10 minutes ago. When they're catching a flight at 6 o'clock in the morning. I mean, they're still wearing their jammy bottoms. Maybe they upgraded to sweatpants. Don't don't limit this to the women, man. It's not like dudes aren't rolling up into the airport in their sweatpants e- No, there's some of them, did, and they just wore the hat. But but most of the, the, the girls, they were them wearing their oversized T-shirt. They had the bedhead hair, right? Usually they were either holding a blanket, Is this more a- commonly a pillow. Is this a generational thing? I don't no, think I don't, I guess. I've never shown up for a 6 a.m. flight in, like, a suit and tie. Or well, even, no, I didn't either. Or even, like, jeans. You know what I mean? Like, good luck getting me in anything but sweatpants. Well, now, I was wearing, because I was going to Florida where it was going to be a lot warmer, and I didn't want to change, I was wearing uh, a polo shirt and uh, nice shorts and my, my sneakers. Sneakers, Jason. My shoes. you got to wear flip-flops for the TSA line, No, no, line, no, no, man. no. No flip-flops. Now, here's the thing. Because I was flying in the helicopter for so long, what I learned is you don't want to be in an aircraft with bad sh- footwear. Because if you need to get off of that aircraft for any reason, you want to have good footwear so you can get off of that airplane or whatever the case may be. I don't want to be walking across or running off of the wing uh, without shoes on my feet. With flip-flops flopping off my feet into the uh, Hudson River. What Mission Impossible scenario do you think you're going to well, get Well, hey, in? maybe I'll be flying with Captain Sully, and I'd have to <laughs> even plunk it down into the river. Give me the flip-flops. Right? I, I would much rather feet. have had shoes in that scenario than flip-flops. Uh, 
Anyway, you know what? And then these back to these girls. Okay. They they honestly they act like they're going through security, um, and and it's the worst thing since ISIS. Like like they would rather be in an ISIS camp of some sort, um, and and, and th- rather than going through the security line. They they get really put off by the whole thing. I just don't get it. It's not quite ISIS bad. Anyway, the line to check my bags at Frontier, it was more than ridiculously long. It it, it was. It was a line that went around the court. So you're weaving, you're, you're you're from the from the where the counter is through the stand. You know the, uh, yep. the little yep. the VIP line, right? <clears throat> yeah. Well, yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, through that line, through that uh, roped line, and then it went all the way around the court, almost over to the security area at I five mean, in was, the morning. Uh, yes, it was a long, long way. Um, it was a couple of planes worth of people trying to check in all at one time. This is frontier, right? Yes, and they did not have enough staff there at the counter to check in everybody not even close so thankfully outside they had the sky cap line available and so with with only eight people or so in that line so i said all right let's go so we take the family out there of course they wait inside while i'm outside with the bags um in my shorts and in my short sleeve shirt now it wouldn't have been that big of a deal for me except it was about 40 degrees and really windy outside the airport that morning um, so while everybody else and all these, you know, the, the, the girls with their sweatpants and their, their, then they have their jackets and then they're holding onto a blanket and their, their pillow and they're, they're shivering and thinking this is the coldest thing since a polar bear stepped outside. I'm just standing there smiling with my short sleeve shirt and my shorts. But at least they're dressed for the environment, right? Well, for that, for that moment, sure. Yep. yep. For that moment. Okay. But then they get on the plane and they land in Tampa and off the, you know, Hey, off come the... And and off comes everything, right? Well, anyway, we went back inside. There were still people that we were waiting behind in that line, waiting to go check their bags. And it's a good thing we actually did the skycap thing, because then we went over to security, and that was a 25-minute wait to get through security. And, you know, it was fine. It was actually traveling with my two girls. Um, they always, they never have us go through that, even as a whole family. They keep the family unit together. So we send all our stuff through security. And they make us walk through the x-ray machine and not through that other thing where you have to hold your hands up and have everything out of your pockets. And it goes, whoosh, whoosh, and it shows, yep. you know, all parts of you. Um, so we just walk through that. And so that's no big issue for me. Okay. Um, but still, it was, we made the flight. We got there at least an hour and a half ahead of time. And because of these two long lines, we, I think we made the flight within 10 or 15 minutes of it taking off. That there were still some people that were waiting to get through security and wait through the frontier line to get onto the plane. So we were actually delayed by about 10 minutes or so. See, here's my theory on it. If I am sitting at the gate for more than 15 minutes, I did something wrong. Like, my planning went poorly. If I'm stuck at the gate, if I'm walking around, if I'm going yeah. to Burger King looking at the menu, right. like, do I want to pay $9 for something I wouldn't pay $5 for on a no- normal day? <laughs> right. Maybe. Maybe I can talk myself into it since I'm stuck at this gate for 45 minutes. Yeah, so you want to just be able to walk on the plane, they shut the door, and off we go. Precisely. That, exactly. You Fr- want to have it timed out that that perfect. Frontier, by the way, has a new slogan. What is that? You get what you pay for. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, <laughs> we did. <laughs> uh, but have you ever heard people snoring? I heard some person snoring on the airplane when I got on sit down. There was some person, like, I think we were two rows up. I, th- I mean, that's somebody who's comfortable sleeping 
anywhere. Two rows up, I don't think I've ever heard. You definitely hear people oh, snore on the plane, yeah. but like they're right next to you. You know. Now, the other big story that happened while I was on the road I wanted to share, we were driving on the interstate that Monday uh, going down the road, and my youngest had just fallen asleep. She was tired. You know, they were both tired, but uh, she, so she fell asleep. She just couldn't keep her eyes open while we are driving. I'm driving a little bit slower so we can prolong this before getting some lunch. And so I'm doing about 60 or so behind this semi. Not too close. You know, a comfortable distance away. And then all of a sudden I hear an explosion. Now, the, the, the best description of the sound I can give you is of one of those really large firework explosions when you're watching like the 4th of July firework display. Okay. It, is, it was that loud. And it was that, it was just like you would think an explosion would sound like. It was an explosion. Huge boom. Now, I instantly knew it had to be one of the tires on the semi-trailer up ahead. Oh, Lord. Because then I started seeing some of the debris, the little pieces of debris Mm -hmm. coming off as it was starting to shred. And so I quickly did some uh, evasive maneuvers. Now, I was really concerned about the biggest piece. Mm -hmm. We call those alligators. When most of the big pieces of the tread, those re, they're usually retreads, mm-hmm. and they'll come off, and, and, and you'll have these pieces, this huge piece of, of, rubber. of rubber coming yeah. at you. And that's no good. You don't want to run over it. You don't want to get hit by it. We get, did get hit by a couple of pieces on the windshield. Now, my wife was no help because she pretty much cowered. As soon as she heard it, she turned to the left and cowered down and was just like, had her head, hands in her head. And, and she, so she was really no help for me. She was ready for impact against the windshield, and then she was she was out. Let's be fair to her. How was she going to help anyway? Well, I, you know, she could have grabbed the, the wheel. Look at that, Harry! Watch out for this stuff. I don't know. <laughs> no, she's not like you could, yeah, grab the wheel or anything. But uh, we so as soon as the so as soon as I got around where I thought the debris was, now the semi started pulling over to the right because he knew what would happen. Exactly. And then I thought, all right, well maybe I should pull over too. I didn't pull over right next to him. I waited to the next area that was safe and I pulled over. And I checked around the car, and it looked like it was okay. Didn't look like anything big had happened. Um, so that was it. So it just it was really a scary moment to be sure. Didn't know they called those big pieces of rubber gators, but my yes. gosh, what a name! But you know what has changed though over the last three or four days? You know when I'm driving here in town, like driving to work or driving home, what now happens? It's it, look, I'm I'm not going to say it's PTSD because that diminishes it for the for the real uh, right, PTSD right, right. for the for the real people that are dealing with that. But but it's almost that same vein where because it's hard to describe. I mean, it's I, I guess I'm not really nervous or or concerned, concerned, apprehensive. It's something. There's a word there that I I can't quite get right. But for that feeling now that I'm driving next to a semi truck, wondering if if that tire is going to explode. Right. Well, there's a certain level of apprehension, right? I mean, that's really yes. what it comes down to. And and I think that's normal for anybody who's been in a crash or like a stressful situation on the road recently is that you have flashbacks to that situation. You expect yeah. it to happen again. I mean, when I've I've been in I've been in too many crashes as we've been over on this podcast too many times for my liking. Uh and and so when I am behind the wheel, I'm a more panicked driver and that's just conditioning, right? You're in a number right. of crashes. Your percentage, I, if there's a rate of like crashes to normal driving experiences, mine is higher than most people. And so I'm conditioned to this idea that I need to be extra careful because I'm more prone to crashes. And, and that goes away with confidence, right? Somebody like my wife who hasn't been in a crash in 11 years of driving, she's fine. She doesn't ever think about crashing because no. why should she? So, I mean, that that's really what it comes down to. I, I do think that 
I don't know if it's ever been studied scientifically, but the more recently you've had a crash or been in one of those stressful situations, the more it's going to linger on your mind. Yeah, I think the first crash I was ever in, I was so freaked out that I never wanted to drive again. Yep. You know, you just yep. you just don't want you don't feel safe and everything is just you you go slower than you should and you actually become more dangerous being that way. Absolutely. I did have a driver's ed teacher that used to almost do the same thing as, as what I'm doing now. She said that she used to at least try to inspect the tires as best she could on a semi trailer before passing them because she was worried about this same scenario. Now she I never elaborated that this actually happened to her where she was driving and then a tire exploded and then it sent her you know off the road or anything right but, but she said uh, every time you pass a semi you should be looking at those tires because at any moment they could explode and that would be bad now it's taken me uh, i've been driving for what 33 years now so this is the first time it's happened in 33 years of driving. How often do you inspect driving? the tires on the semi as you pass it? Is that really a thing? I was never oh, taught no, that. I'm not really. Oh, yeah, no. She did. She would say, but how can you? You're going too fast no, to inspect the tires. You can't really. <laughs> you can see if they're bald, but you can't tell if they're just about to explode. Maybe if you see a huge bulge in it. Well, right. There's not a countdown Watch clock for the on bulge. there. Yes, like, yeah, there is. On, right there on the hub. Watch out. Yeah, counting down in seven, six. I mean, the rest of the trip was fairly uneventful, which is which is thankful. Right. Um, you know, did a little Disney World day and did some ocean days, but otherwise, you know. Mickey's tires don't explode, believe it or not. No, and you know what? Going to uh, the old Disney World, they so you have to park forever yep. out in the parking lot. And then you get on this stupid tram. I was going to say, talk and, about and a place with a good tram system. And I'll tell you Disney what, World. they and, and and they have some person in the in the driver cab thing, and then they have the tra- you know, the the trains, the little things that everybody gets in. And then you have somebody, some doofus in the back that's trying to do jokes. Yep. They're do- that's all their job is is to give jokes the whole time you're trying to get over to the Magic Kingdom area. So you get dropped off, and then you got to go through security, and then you got to get either on the boat or the monorail that then takes you to the entrance to the Magic Kingdom area, which then you have to go through another ticket process, and then off you go. So it's not just running from the parking lot into the Magic Kingdom. It is a process. Well, yes. They, they, they are a well-organized process. Yes. Um, and what I will say is with the advent of social media, I know a couple of these cast members. Uh, and they all have Facebook pages and YouTube channels, and they're all putting their corny jokes online oh, and putting together their Perfect. own videos. So it's not like you have like a small cast of Disney characters, like your Mickey's and your Minnie's and your Goofies and whatnot. But now you have like uh, Isaac Yankum, the guy sitting in the back of the of the tram that takes yes. you from the parking lot to Magic Kingdom, and he's got his own YouTube channel. Oh, and he's busting out jokes and talking so, about all the fun people he met that day. So I can go back now and relive that experience over and over again. Without a doubt. You could Excellent. be a cast member, Jason. Oh, okay. There you go. <laughs> I could. I, I would really work that microphone pretty well, I think. There we go. Because you know that these people are using the same material over and over because they're getting new people all the time. I mean... Imagine right? you're a bus driver, right? At the end of the day, you're still just like a tram driver. Well, so, there's a tram driver, and then there's the person in the back of the tram that's making sure that nobody has fallen off. Well, that's just it. It's not like they get two hours during their day where it's like, go write something topical. Give me something on these Trump tweets for today. But don't you think that they're also thinking, oh, wait, that's a good one. They're writing it down. They have a little right. notebook. They have like one of our reporter notebooks, and they're jotting down notes of them, <laughs> their best material, and then they're using it. Maybe they take it to the Orlando Comedy Club that weekend, and then they're just testing their material on the tram. 
it's the happiest comedy club I'll on. I'll tell Earth. you what, I was very funny on a tram in Las Vegas one time there to the entire crowd of uh, people that didn't want to hear my jokes. I was, but I was killing it. I was killing it on that tram. There we go. I was very, very funny. Uh, but while I was away, I was able to keep up with the best story of the week. Of course, the very best story of the week. It was the woman who was removed from a Frontier Airlines flight because she brought on board her emotional support squirrel. That's it. That was the story of the week. Do we? Do we need to elaborate? Because I oh, have yeah. thoughts. Because because uh, you, I'm sure you you obviously heard the story. But for our listeners, it was a flight from Orlando to Cleveland, and there was this woman, Cindy Torok. She brought on her emotional support squirrel in a little pet carrier on the airplane. And the Frontier Airlines official said that Cindy noted in her reservation that she was bringing on an emotional support animal. However, she did not indicate it was a squirrel on purpose. On purpose. Because right there, that is my indication right there, that she knew what she was doing wasn't allowed. That she wasn't allowed to bring a squirrel because Frontier has the express written uh, description there in their policy. No rodents and other uh, uh, whatever it is. Um, but that they were not allowed to have squirrels on the airplane. But she did it anyway because I'm sure in her mind, the squirrel is smaller than a cat. Shouldn't be any problem at all. It'll stay in the carrier. It's not going to be a problem for anyone, and I think she thinks she could have gotten away with it if it wasn't no. for the meddling kids. No, 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 no. Scooby Doo. She knew she was going to go viral. She no, went into no, no. this. You think with, she went and she she knew she was going to get caught? We are all getting worked right now. No, all of us. I didn't think I, she the was, entire no. media is getting played by this I woman disagree. who brought her squirrel onto the plane in a cat. I'm not saying she's sane. I'm not no. saying that she like. Was is well adjusted and had all her ducks in the right row when she p- came up with this plan. But Cindy knew she was going viral as soon as they all started clapping when she got thrown off the plane with her squirrel and a pet carrier. What, she knew this. What I think happened was someone around her saw this squirrel, or more likely one of the flight attendants saw the squirrel. I don't think that. See, now you're coming at it from the from the angle that she wanted people to see the squirrel. I think that she didn't want people to see the squirrel and wanted to get on board with it anyway. But I think the flight attendant saw the carrier and maybe said, hey, what is, let me see your cute kitty. Let me see your cute doggy. And she says, well, it's a squirrel. And that's when all the red flags go off. And that's when the flight attendants go, uh, we don't allow squirrels on our airplanes. Right, because we don't allow squirrels on the airplane. How did she get all the way onto the plane? Because like, she could, because she could hide it. How do you hide it? How do you hide it from TSA? It doesn't. TSA doesn't care. They don't care what kind of animal goes through, as long as it's probably not an elephant. But they don't care what goes through. It's the airlines that have the policy. So did she check a bag? Like, how did she check a bag and not have somebody notice? Hey, let me see what's in your pet carrier. Well, no. So you take your pet carrier. You you've seen the pet carriers, right? They're not that big. I have one for my cat, and it's it's uh, enough to put the squirrel in. The squirrel's tiny, and you just take that. And apparently, at the TSA. Because somebody asked about that. They said, how did you get through the TSA? So she, you put the carrier empty through the, through the uh, 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 x-ray machine. And they, so they x-ray it just like anything else. And then you take the squirrel through the, not through the, just through the uh, uh, metal detector. So this is the problem with America, is the lack of communication. Because if I'm a TSA agent and I see this woman go, come through the x-ray line and she's got a squirrel in her pocket, and I have access to her ticket record, I'm going to give Frontier a call. And I'm going to say, hey, there's a lady with a squirrel, and she's coming for your flight. I don't think you want this. TSA only cares if the squirrel is packing heat. And that's the problem. 
That's the problem. That's all they care about. If the if the squirrel has a knife or a gun, then they care. Otherwise, it's a squirrel and a lady, and off they go. No. We all got played, Jason. We all no, got we played by not. Sydney and the squirrel. I don't think so. I, I really don't. I, I think what happened was the crew found out, and then the crew handled it. I think they handled it the right way because once she was on board with the squirrel, they first asked the and, – and all right, now, now you – this is what she said to the people. Listen to this part of the story. So they first asked the woman, Cindy, to get off the airplane with the squirrel, but she refused. She said, quote, you are not taking my squirrel. Sorry. See? Is that something that a, that a person says that isn't trying to go viral? Because then she told because she said she needed the squirrel for her severe anxiety. And now the flight attendant said if she doesn't get off the plane, they're going to have to get everyone off the plane. And Cindy said this. She said, okay, get everyone off the plane. She said that to the flight attendant. So Cindy was digging in her heels at that point, maybe trying to go viral, because she was already on the plane, and she thought, I'm sure she thought this, that there was no way they were going to take everybody off the plane, including her, because of this squirrel. She was right, right? Well, they called her bluff. Yeah. And, and, and they asked everyone to get off the plane, so everyone got off the plane. And then the crew called the Orlando police, who then came onto the plane and then convinced her eventually, to get off the plane under her own power and not dragged on the floor. And they escorted her off the plane and brought her over to the main terminal. Now, I have another theory of why they did that, emptied the plane first before having her get off the plane or having police show up inside the plane and trying to try to get her off that way. When the plane is empty of people, it is also empty of cell phones yep. and cell phone yep. cameras. And if there's no video to show the police how they convinced her to get off the airplane, there's no tweets, there's no Facebook posts, no Instagram posts about how this woman was treated when she was removed from the plane for fighting with police about her about her squirrel. Now, Cindy says she was escorted off. She says she wasn't abused, which is good, but... If she wanted to say she was abused by the police, where would be the video evidence? Now, maybe the officers had body cameras, and they could use that. Um, but with no cell phone cameras on the airplane, because there was no passengers, you had to wait till she was off the airplane to see that video. And that's where it also gets very good. Because the video of her getting wheeled out of the jetway and through the group of people that were supposed to be on the airplane but are now waiting over there at the gate was fantastic. Now, did you see that video? I did. I did. It was great. So she's in this wheelchair holding the squirrel in her lap, and uh, many of the other passengers that had been asked to get off the plane, they were cheering. They were cheering as she was wheeled away. It, it looked to me as if she was giving some of them the finger, and then she turned from the finger to a thumbs up because she thought, Cindy did, some of the people that were cheering for her when really they were cheering that she was leaving. You know how I know she was trying to go viral? How? Because it was a flight from Orlando to Cleveland. If you were going to buy a plane ticket that you never intended to use, it would be to Cleveland. Now, she did admit that she can understand that some people might have been creeped out by the squirrel and that it was on the plane. But Cindy says it was in her carrying case, so it shouldn't have been a problem. Now, this is where it gets really, really good. Cindy says it was cruel what the airline did to her, even though they gave her her money back and gave her tickets, vouchers on top of that for other flights. But here's what she said. And I will quote 
Cindy, with what she said. I will own a big portion of this airline. I'm going for blood. I'm going all the way. I'm contacting an attorney and taking it from there. Unquote. Cindy, I have one thing to say. Good luck with that. Good luck. Have we reached out to Cindy? We have not. Mm. I sense a guest for an upcoming episode of the Driving You Crazy podcast. As an unofficial attorney of Frontier Airlines, this would be my defense of the airline against Cindy and her pending lawsuit. Uh, Miss um, Torek, we have a specific policy that was intentionally ignored. Ms. Torek notified us, uh, notified us of an animal but refused to identify the animal, especially because it was a squirrel. Because she knew it wasn't allowed on the plane, but she came with the squirrel anyway. We went above and beyond to accommodate her and her wishes, but she refused, resulting in delays and inconveniencing our other customers. Uh, sir, judge, we rest our case. Case closed. Can we buy her a toy plane? <laughs> Would she be satisfied with that? As long as she takes her squirrel along with it, right. I guess. Her squirrel can play with the little plane, hop on it. Because, it, look, in, in, at the beginning of November, November 1st, Frontier's policy automatically changes anyway for all of their support animals. Just in time for the holidays, folks. It would be one cat or one dog that can fit under the seat at their feet in a carrier, period. They don't even have to justify because they have on their uh, on their policy now no squirrels and no rodents and no exotic animals and blah blah. So they don't have to say no this or no that. It's only one cat or only one dog. Period. If you don't have a cat or you don't have a dog or you have more than one or the other, then you cannot come to the airport with your pet. And get on the airplane. Poor people with uh, emotional support rabbits who you'd think would qualify under this policy. No, our rabbits are out. Rabbits are out. a cat or a dog. Yep. If you have a rabbit, leave it at home or drive. One of the two. Because uh, I, I, I really think, even though it'll make us sad because we can't talk about these stories, I, will, I, I think we're going to see fewer and fewer of these stories going forward. Thank God. Well, I like these stories. They I, make me happy. I, I do too, but I'm excited for this era of travel to end. It's really, they're going to clamp down, and it's really going to be interesting to see then now, if most of the airlines have, have this policy now starting, if the TSA will then say, well, I'm sorry you have a squirrel, you can't come in. I'm sorry you have a otter, you can't come in. I'm sorry you have a badger, and you can't come in. But let's flip it. When do we get the animal-friendly airline? <laughs> right. Wild <We're>... air. <laughs> you know, there is a, a little boutique uh, uh, plane that flies out of one of these, uh, like Rocky Mountain Metro Airport, that does ship pets. Only, uh, and it's only pets on the air on the on the airplane. Only pets. Only pets. Pets only. Pets only. Jump- least, I don't know if they're still in business. That sounds amazing. But yeah, no. I w- and I want them all out of carriers. I want them doing their business everywhere. Oh, that'd be gross. Maybe they could do like a themed cruise. You know, how they have themed cruises. Yeah. Where they have guests and they have other uh, other themes for these different cruise, cruises, right? Well, maybe they can have then themed flights you where could, it's all pet friendly. I, I think we could take this one step further. Think of all the themes you could do. How much would you pay for a flight where the Backstreet Boys are your flight attendants? Sure. And they do a concert mid-flight. Exactly. Why not? Uh, even if it's bumpy, just, you know, strap them to the floor, whatever. Just, uh, it, show me the shape of your heart. That's all I have to say. I could... <laughs> I, can, I could finally bring my emotional support armadillo. 
There we on go. The airplane, and when it balls up, I could throw it across to the uh, uh, person in the next aisle. <laughs> Little armadillo basketball. Exactly. Why not have that? I think we're on to something there, Joseph. Right. I really think we're on to something. Uh, while, uh, while away, while I was away at least, we stayed in this resort that had these, these villas. They had like a main hotel area, and then it had a couple of villas. Uh, it had two bedrooms in it, you know, full kitchen, so we could make our own breakfast right there in the room. I, I, I like that. I like having rooms like that because it's nice for the kids. It's a good place to get to, to keep snacks for the trip and nice place to go to the grocery store. You know, you can get a few things and make a few easy meals, especially breakfast. It's actually easier for the kids as they're more finicky eaters than, than mommy and daddy are for, for certain meals. Because uh, they had this restaurant there at the main lobby, but it was it was pretty expensive. It was one of those sit-down places. Takes a while to get served. We didn't want to do that, so it, it was nothing like those. Staying at, at the La Quinta, you've done that, at, or the Holiday Inn Express, or, or oh yeah, whatever. Yeah, where they have the free breakfast. breakfast. Yeah, no, not just a continental breakfast. They actually have the free breakfast area where they have the table set up, and they have a little breakfast deal set uh, over there where you can get. Um, usually, they have like some cereals and milk and juice. The coffee, the bread, the toast. Inside information, they have eggs too, right? Oh, it depends. Those eggs come in a bag, and the bag is boiled, and the eggs are made inside the bag, and then you cut the bag open, you chop it up, and you put it in a little container. Yes, that's pretty much their scrambled egg mixture. Yep. That yep. They might, and sometimes they'll have sausage or bacon. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the times they'll even have you know, some yogurt. Remember that time we did a podcast explaining what a breakfast area was? <laughs> <laughs> but you know the best part about those? Are, are the waffles the oh, waffle makers? One hundred percent. Right. You go to the you make you you pour the batter in that little cup, and then you pour you got to spray the waffle maker, and then you pour the batter into the in, in into the waffle, and then you, you 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 close it and you spin it. And who among us is not guilty of burning themselves on that dang waffle maker? Exactly. At least once. At least once. Well, anyway, I, I bring all this up, Joseph, because this free breakfast rant really is leading me to tell you about the uh, search for a bold thief targeting Dalton, Georgia. Oh. He's going through some of those area hotels and stealing from the free breakfast bars. Now, Dalton is north of Atlanta. It's right near the Tennessee-Georgia state line. The carp- It's really the carpet capital of the southeast, if you've never been there. Uh, now I know. Police said one man decided to walk into the Holiday Inn Express, help himself to the free hot breakfast. The man also stole plastic silverware, shampoo, and towels. Is this a crime? Yes. He wasn't I, staying there. I did this in high school a couple of times. The front office manager at that hotel said something didn't seem right about this guy. She said he walked in with books, started eating from the breakfast bar, wandered the halls. She said he looked lost, and then his actions looked fishy. That's when she got her general manager involved. The GM approached the man who told her he was just checking out how easy it is to get into hotels and get free stuff. So he said it's a research project. <laughs> now, the GM, of course, told him, uh, you're going to have to do your research project elsewhere. You're going to have to leave, sir. Now, police said that's not the only hotel the man entered. The next day, the same man snuck into one of the rooms that was being cleaned at the Quality Inn. He was there for roughly an hour before the hotel employees approached him. Officer said he was bold enough to hit another hotel the following day, and he told the clerk at the Super 8 that he left his cell phone in the room and asked to get it back. They told him he would, they would uh, call the police. No one has seen him since then. If nothing else, it should tell you the clerks are actually paying attention who's coming in and going at these hotels. Or they found out there was a serial hotel 
invader, yes. let's say, and they were extra careful to watch out for the guy. The worst part about those breakfasts, though, are the way people treat each other at these breakfasts. Please tell I me I mean, more. they're rarely courteous. You've seen this. I mean, they, they scramble for position to get what they want because they have to have it now. It's a free breakfast buffet, and, and, and dang it, you're not going to get in front of me so I can get my waffle or my yogurt or that toast. I need it now. I mean, they're, honestly, it's much like their behavior is, is hunt to kill. They're hunting for food, and then they're going to kill it and eat it. You put people in a room full of free stuff, and this is what happens. Yes. I mean, they really they walk up and down looking at what they want. Then they spot it. They go in for the kill, grab it, get it on the plate, go back to their seat, gobble it down as they're peeking back up, looking to what else they might score. And they, they usually eat more than they really need to. At these buffets. I feel like we have very dramatically different experiences with these buffets. Every time I walk into one of these things, I look around and I'm like, there is nothing I want here. Well, it's I, us- I, I, I usually just like to get the yogurt and the granola and maybe some cereal. Bagel. It's always a bagel. I'll and and a my bagel, kids want the, the, the waffle. But it, it's just I like watching people. Mm-hmm. I just mm-hmm. like watching people. It's one of the few places you can go to where you will still see people reading the newspaper. Because there is always an issue of USA Today out on the counter, and that's the easiest thing in America to read. It's easier than reading a kindergarten textbook. And so people are just sitting there with their easy-ass USA Today, flipping through the pages and eating their waffles and their bagged eggs. Who doesn't love some bagged eggs? Mm. So, Joseph, what is the most fun time to drive on the road, you think? Four in the morning. Yes, I I agree. Mm -hmm. Um when they are most empty, like when, when I come into work at 3 o'clock in the morning. Yep. Stacy Donaldson, who was filling in for weather today, she remarked how nice it was to come into work at 3 in the morning. But the reality for most of us is that we have to deal with the morning and afternoon rush hours and all the congestion that goes along with it. So with so much growth of the cities across the country, especially here in the West, there have been some significant changes in traffic patterns in some of these major cities in, in, in America. Now, the company Geotab, they connect commercial vehicles to the Internet. They also provide usage analytics to help companies manage their fleets. Well, they did a congestion study, and they revealed some of the changing traffic patterns across 20 major U.S. cities. And joining us here on the show is Mike Branch. He's Geotab's VP of Data and Analytics to talk about what they found out. Mike, welcome to the Driving You Crazy podcast. (laughs) Thank you so much, Jason. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to be here. Well, before we get into the research and the data that you're so good at, much smarter than the both of us combined, what is your commute like? How far do you have to get to or from work? Well, that's a great question. So I've, um, I've got about a 10 to 15 minute uh, commute to work and, uh, you know, it, it varies. Uh, so I'm out in uh, the Toronto area here in, uh, in Canada and, uh, you know, finding going to work, not too bad at all. It's always coming back from work. That's when, it, you know, it almost doubles the uh, the time coming back. And I don't even live that far from the office. So uh, definitely something that, uh, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, needs changing across the board, not only in the U.S. and Canada, it's a problem everywhere. <laughs> yeah. So obviously you are feeling not only your data, but you're living it as well. And, you know, there's an old saying in the traffic world about congestion, that it is getting so bad in some areas of the country that you can change your tire almost without losing your place in line on the roadways. So what are, <laughs> it's true, it's yeah, true. what are some of the key findings in your data? Where is traffic getting worse? Yeah, so uh, what we did is well, we, we kind of took a, a snapshot of uh, 
um, data for a, a full year, right? So we looked at, uh, we had about 350,000 uh, vehicles across 20 uh, major cities uh, from kind of August 2017 all the way through to July 2018. And we, we kind of wanted to look at, well, where are the worst kind of speed drops, congested cities, congested areas? And, and like you said, we looked at the kind of the, the top 20 uh, cities uh, out there in the uh, in the U.S. by by population, and uh, uncovered that uh, I'll just kind of give some quick highlights. The uh, um, the top five uh, from a congestion perspective actually ended up top. The, the worst one was was Boston, um, and that uh, was about a forty percent speed drop from kind of the the fastest flowing uh, timeframes for specific um, what we call a, a geo hash, which goes down to like about one hundred and fifty meters by one hundred fifty meters. So we can track kind of vehicle movement patterns at this really hyper-local level. So we saw a 40% uh, speed drop, um, and these typically happen, uh, for the most part, throughout the uh, the evening hours. So I guess it, it kind of dovetails well with my experience driving, too. In the morning is bad, but in the evening is usually worse. And we saw that trend across the board in all cities, except for for Baltimore. Baltimore was interesting. It um, uh, definitely wasn't on the, the worst uh, hitters list, but it was down at about, you know, um, a number, uh, maybe 15 or so. Um, and uh, the worst speed uh, drop we saw happened in the morning for Baltimore. Every other city was uh, in the evening, either between four and five or five and six. Uh, again, Boston topped it out. Uh, New York was second and Miami, Washington, San Francisco um, were uh, the, uh, the rounded out the top five there. Um, and that, um, that you can see that all the details on that. If you go to the our, our site there, geotab.com, uh, slash uh, gridlocked uh, hyphen cities. And there's a whole kind of um, mix of uh, those top 20 cities there. And you can see kind of throughout the course of the day by the near the different landmarks where it transpired. Uh, so yeah, some uh, some pretty uh, cool stuff to uh, to look at and visualize um, the impact. I encourage you to check out, see if it kind of makes sense for your city as well too, right? Exactly. By the way, we'll, on a whole separate issue, we'll forgive you. Since you are in Toronto, we'll forgive you for using metric system instead of the imperial system. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, my apologies. I always have to speak <laughs> my brain. I, 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 I still can't get the conversion quite right. <laughs> no, that's okay. Completely okay. So hey, did you find any uh, in your data, did you find any of the congestion areas in the cities? Did, were, they, were they changing or are they pretty much staying the same for the, for the most part within those cities or is congestion within those cities changing and the dynamics of maybe where people are moving? Yeah, I mean, we, we saw it change um, uh, uh, dependent on the, um, uh, usually the, uh, the season as well, too. Weather has a, a huge impact, obviously, on, um, on the flow of traffic. What we did here is we kind of took uh, one year's worth of data so we could kind of remove any seasonality. So we looked at, okay, well, in general, what, what does this look like? But definitely, you're, you're absolutely right. Definitely, it throws certain um, uh, parts uh, of uh, the year. Uh, you know, winter season, no surprise, tends to be uh, quite uh, heavily backed up for, uh, of course, a number of the uh, the northern cities. Um, so yeah, that definitely had a, a big impact. And uh, but what again? What we looked at here was let's remove seasonality from it in general over the course of the year. What does this pattern look like? So I think what we'll do again too is we'll maybe run the same study uh, next year and see. Okay, well. Did things did things change? Right. Um, uh, obviously, a number of different factors uh, can can impact that. And um, the nice thing about the data is that uh, 
uh, yes, it is commercial vehicles that we have that uh, are connected to the, the net via the GeoTab device, but a commercial vehicle sitting in traffic will be the same as your eyes sitting in traffic, right? Mm-hmm. So it gives us kind of a bit of a proxy for what's going on in and around the cities, yeah. Now, with Denver specifically, I noticed that there's that speed drop between 5 a.m. and 8 p.m. The speed is dropping greater than 10 percent, anywhere from like 10 to 30 percent. Is that sort of curve what you're seeing in all cities where you're seeing that speed drop really start in the morning and not end until night with no break in the middle? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it does uh, definitely depend on the city. Um, uh, so, uh, I mean, you look at um, cities like um, uh, San Francisco, uh, as a for instance you see it heat up quite right. Like it, it is pretty consistent throughout the course. They definitely, you'll see a, a massive increase in the, in the morning as it kind of lights up around, you know, seven, eight, nine, and then it dims down a little bit and then just gets really red in the evening. And I mean, that's kind of conducive. I mean, it's similar to up here. I mean, uh, I remember uh, traffic going into Toronto. We're in the suburbs of um, of Toronto, so about 30 minutes away. I remember being able to get into uh, the city, um, you know, 20 minutes, no problem. Uh, that was, what, maybe 10 years ago? Now it's taking me almost double that to uh, to get in there. So, you know, population growth, um, uh, the infrastructure um, uh, as, as well. So, you know, we've got three lanes going into uh, a major <laughs> a major city, right? Um, and not to mention the construction the have. So there's so many different, um, uh, so many different issues. But yeah, you're right. You do see that kind of sustained, um, uh, you know, uh, gridlock almost throughout the the course of the day. It's not nearly as bad as on the uh, the, the two ends of the spectrum. But, and then it kind of lessens in the evening. But like it to to be to have to wait until you know 8 p.m. for things to kind of calm down. It seems. <laughs> It's crazy, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're talking to Mike Branch, Vice President of Data and Analytics for Geotab, about their findings about congestion across the country. Do you think, Mike, that this is just a function of maybe a better economy here in the United States, um, maybe the growth uh, of the economy here, or is there something else going on? I mean, obviously, the growth in Canada is, is maybe you could attribute some of it to now legalized uh, marijuana up there. We've seen what that <laughs> what that has done to our city over the last several years. No big deal. Yeah, no. T- <laughs> Right. So do you think this is all about growth? Uh, I definitely think it's a growth is a, a huge uh, component of that. Um, um, and, and now you've got uh, so much um, from a commercial standpoint as well, too. Everybody is uh, ordering online, right? E-commerce has gone through uh, through the roof. So you, there's a lot more deliveries, hyper-local deliveries happening across the board. So um, uh, I think that uh, contributes a, a bit to it as well, too. Growth in a lot of these urban areas, you know, a lot of um, uh, youth do want to live uh, downtown in the in the downtown core. Um, so there is a lot of uh, certain, um, uh, there's a lot of movement to these large metropolitan areas. And I mean, we're looking at, you know, different ways that we can help from a congestion perspective as well. So yeah, we have, you know, it's commercial vehicles that um, uh, we're plugged into, but even still there's, there's, there's different ways that you can leverage these, this data and analytics uh, to, to help out these cities, right. Um, in these uh, times of need. There is, but I think my read on it, and let me know if you feel the same way. This is the new normal. I mean, this is just the way it's going to be where speeds are going to drop in cities until there are really massive transportation overhauls. Doesn't that seem like what the data leads to you? Yeah. 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 I mean, there's, it it is a bit of a new norm. I think you're going to see some of that shift with uh, autonomous uh, vehicle adoption, but 
Um, that certainly won't be ubiquitous for, I think, a long time. Although we've got a number of autonomous vehicles kind of being tested across the, uh, the globe right now, I think ubiquitously it's going to take a while for that shift to transpire. And that's, that'll be nice because the amount of times you just, you look out in your parking lot and see just vehicles sitting there. The utilization rates are just so, so low. And that shouldn't be the case, right? For optimal driving patterns, these vehicles should be used across the board as EV infrastructure gets better as well, too. I think, that's going to add to a lot, but I, this is not this is not a quick change. I think it, is, it will be a, a gradual change, and uh, there are things uh, you know that uh, are coming to play with kind of vehicle to vehicle and vehicle to infrastructure communication, which can help ease that 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 pain. And um, we're doing some some kind of cool things in uh, in Detroit right now, uh, where uh, we've looked at you know things like freight signal priority. How many times have you been stuck behind one of these huge Class Eight heavy duty vehicles and uh, it can't get through the light. And, you know, geez, if that light just extended for an extra five seconds and this guy got through, I could get through and, you know, life would be a whole lot easier. So uh, we've looked at some interesting studies where uh, we uh, actually have deployed um, uh, within a few corridors in Detroit and looked at, okay, if this class seven and eight heavy duty truck is approaching the intersection um, and the light is about to turn yellow. Let me extend that light by a, a you know five to ten seconds green, so that I allow that 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 vehicle through. And we looked at the impact that had in those areas, and it was pretty uh, pretty tremendous. Uh, the number of uh, stops that a vehicle would have to make uh, was reduced, reduces emissions, reduces uh, congestion. Uh, obviously, you can't do it all the time, but between communicating uh, from the device uh, in the vehicle all the way through to the infrastructure. Um, and uh, determining, okay, well, is it is it safe for me to extend this light at this point in time, uh, and, and do so? The the impacts are pretty uh, were pretty phenomenal. Um, so again, these are all things that are in pilot stage, and you'll see some of these happening within cities as we try to figure out ways to allow movement of vehicle uh, throughout the city a, a little bit more. Yeah, because it seems like you're on the really the forefront and the front edge of all this autonomous vehicles because you have devices in all these fleets and all these vehicles really across the country that's collecting this data then sending it back to your massive computers and it seems like what geotab is doing here is really some of that first work to get us on the road to autonomous vehicles we have contended that it's going to be years and years probably a lot longer to get uh, autonomous even get partial autonomy uh, going in some of these big cities but what is your take on that yeah, no, I think it's going to be a long time before. And I think, I mean, my take on it is I think it will happen in uh, like small pockets of cities as well, too. So you may have an area that is cordoned off as, uh, you know, autonomous driving only. Um, but I mean, you got to wait for legislation to, to catch up as well, too, and uh, not to be driven by the state. It has to happen kind of at the uh, at the federal level. So can an autonomous vehicle drive from, um, you know, uh, uh, California all the way through to Washington state? Um, and uh, is it is, is it properly uh, licensed and regulated? So, I mean, there's a lot of things that still need to happen. But in the meantime, there are these technologies that can help advance, um, uh, you know, uh, the, that the vehicle-to-vehicle and vehicle-to-infrastructure communication, even without the vehicles being fully autonomous, right, to make uh, them uh, location-aware and to make the intersections that much smarter, right? Um, so these things, these things are already starting to happen, um, and it's through really collaborative partnerships with, you know, cities, um, you know, telematics companies like us, um, uh, you know, uh, traffic control systems. I mean, we, our partner in that with Detroit was a company called Myovision and, and they're doing some fantastic stuff as well, too. Uh, had their world's smartest intra, uh, intersection 
um, uh, on display at the, uh, the Detroit it's a, a conference there. So, um, yeah, these things are happening and it will pave the way for um, uh, autonomous vehicles that happening more ubiquitously. But that is, I think that's still a long ways off. People think it's, you know, around the corner sometimes yeah. <laughs> because they see, because you see these things on the road, right? But, I, but until it's ubiquitous, I think you're still looking at least 10 years out, you know, like longer than that, I would say. And you still, and you still see some of the technology, some of the little bit of the technology from, I mean, really cruise control is, is a part of autonomous technology. And I think as people start to use that a little bit more, maybe we'll see uh, people getting more comfortable with it because we've talked about, Joseph, I have on the show here, how most people in, a, in the United States are not quite comfortable with just jumping into a fully autonomous car just yet and letting it do the driving. And, and I think that's going to take some cultural shifting as well. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I completely agree. I remember the first time, so one of uh, uh, the guys in, in the office here has a, he got a Tesla Model 3, right? And um, uh, the first time, he was, I think, the third person in Canada <laughs> to, to get it up here. And I went for a ride in it, and it was it was pretty cool, but unnerving. As we were going on to the on ramp, you know, you he lifted his hands off the wheel, and uh, you know, took us onto the highway or the freeway, I guess, if I'm <laughs> if I'm talking in uh, in U.S. terms. Uh, and then uh, uh, he he would signal, and it would it would go uh, into the uh, the appropriate lane, you know, uh, all by itself, right, when it was safe to do so. So it was a it's a little unnerving to, to be in a, in a vehicle like that. Um, um, but, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, this is going to be the way of the future. And these are going to be baby steps we need to take to get there. And there will be a shift from a technology perspective, a shift from, you know, um, j- just people willing to, uh, uh, to accept that this vehicle is making some decisions for them. Right. Um, uh, and it's, a, it, uh, it, it's, it's not going to be an, an easy path, but I think, uh, it's, it's the right way to go, um, uh, for, uh, for us in the future here. So, so until yeah. we get to that point where the cars are driving themselves and since they could all drive at uh, the perfect speed, never break the uh, gap between them, uh, then traffic would flow at, at a great pace. What do you see as maybe the shorter term solution or even maybe even a longer term solution to all this congestion that we see across uh, both Canada and the United yeah. States, more roads forcing people to use transit. Is, is, is there any kind of, yeah. is there a perfect way out of it or even a not so perfect way out of this? I, you know, I think there's a, there's a combination of different tactics that can, people can put in play. I mean, um, just speaking from the, uh, the commercial standpoint, um, obviously commercial vehicles, um, occupy a lot of space within the city and, and do lend uh, themselves uh, quite a bit to to that congestion as well too. And looking for uh, things like you know common um, uh, freight paths, right? So uh, and the utilization of those vehicles. Uh, do I have you know a hundred class eight heavy duty trucks delivering uh, to similar areas on a daily basis? Is there potential for cargo share and, and freight consolidation? Um, these kinds of things. I know um, uh, New York uh, back a couple of years ago did a really interesting thing and had their off-hours uh, delivery program, right, where they would incent um, uh, receivers to say, okay, well, yes, I will now receive my shipment uh, during off-hours. Um, and as a result, the carriers can get there much, much quicker, right? Um, and it eases uh, a bit of congestion during those peak hours. So I think there's different programs that can be put in place, but it does require that kind of partnership uh, with kind of public, private sector, um, and speaking on the commercial side anyways, I mean, 
um, that's that's one area that we we do see um, uh, you know a lot of room for improvement. And then I mean um, just in terms of um, uh, the public transportation systems, and that varies from. Uh, uh, from uh, you know city to city, and some are amazing, like uh, have amazing subway systems and uh, commuter uh, access. And I think that especially with the uh, the, the millennial group, the, the amount of people that I know that just don't even have a car anymore, right? Uh, they're uh, so I think uh, there's a combination of factors that's making the city more livable, more uh, you know uh, the public transportation system um, uh, you can get from point A to B that much quicker. But I think also on the commercial side, there's some interesting things that we are doing and and um, um, and are working with some cities to, to help employ. So I think it's a combination effect until you get to that you know <laughs> utopia so, mm-hmm. somewhere way down in the distance where you you have. Uh, uh, these these uh, ubiquitous autonomous vehicles moving around. Besides, you know, all the millennials, and Joseph can tell you, they're all riding these little uh, electric scooters anyway. Absolutely. So, I mean, you know, they don't even drive cars, own cars. They just want to drive those silly scooters. And the bus. And, and really, the train. <laughs> I mean, anything but a car, man. <laughs> there you go. Well, Mike, thank you uh, so much for joining us. Mike Branch, the Vice President of Data and Analytics for uh, Geotab. We appreciate you being here on the uh, Driving You Crazy podcast. Hey, no problem. Anytime. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, Mike. Well, obviously, congestion is not going away. But it'll be interesting to see how these connected vehicles, um, especially as they are doing more of them in the future with Geotab, uh, will, will help people figure out ways to maybe solve the congestion problem or get us on the road to these autonomous vehicles a little bit faster. Um, it'll just be interesting to see all that. Amen. Yeah. So that was, that was really, uh, I, I like that. That was a good, inter- interesting interview there. Well, and, and to your point, like autonomous, as we've said so many times, it feels like we're decades away. But when you really look at the numbers and you see how much traffic is being slowed down as a result of the volume of cars on the road, for me, it's like, let's just get any solution we can out there and expedite it. Mm-hmm. There was one other last, uh, well, one uh, other story I wanted to talk about that happened uh, recently. It was about that deadly limo crash up in upstate New York. Mm-hmm. Now, when I first heard, heard about the story, obviously, I couldn't imagine that there were 18 people that died in one car. Um, that was stunning. I mean, 18 people in a car, 17 in the back, and then the driver. And all I kept thinking about were, were who were the, who were these people? Um, did they have kids? What was their situation? How did, how did 17 people get in the back of this car? Are they out for a party? Are they, are they just friends? Was it a wedding? What, I mean, what was the case? Mm-hmm. Uh, then I started to read up about the, the company that was involved in this crash and the many problems they had. And it, and it was stunning that that car was still on the road. There was, it was a really well done story in the New York times. It was called death at the crossroads. Um, and it talks all about the people who were killed until, uh, including the two people that were outside the limo. There was a guy and his father-in-law that were just part of this, uh, you know, this larger group that stopped at this roadside country store. And they, and they just happened to be in the worst place at the worst time. It was completely random that they are standing there at this country store, and all of a sudden, here comes this limo down this hill, presumably because of the brakes failed, and that's, that sounds like maybe where the investigation is going to go. Mm-hmm. And these two people were, were killed. But that limo should never have been on the road with people in it. State inspectors, as I read, uh, put the excursion out of service after a September 4th inspection and that the owners were actually warned not to drive it. But the limousine continued to operate, even though a lawyer for Prestige Limo said the vehicle recently underwent repairs. And New York State Police even arrested the son of the owner of that limousine company, charging him with multiple cases of criminally neglect homicide. 
Mm-hmm. So he's he's going to be going to prison for a while, all for all for this, and 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 rightly so. Now, according to records and interviews and some of the last text messages that came out of the uh, of the limo from the people that were inside, the thing that had long appeared to be unsafe. Um, the car just, as you could hear from the description of these people that were in the car and other people who had rented that car, it, w- it was really terrible. Actually, there was this guy from Albany who, who hired that same limousine for his wedding a year ago, and he told an Al- Albany TV station that after his experience of going inside, that he should, he said it should have been in the scrapyard. They, he said the air conditioning didn't work, um, that there was duct tape on the vehicle that was painted white to try to hold some stuff together that it was just in terrible operating conditions. And, and the vehicle also lacked, they said, the federal uh, regu- registration necessary to keep operating after, after um, it was expanded from just a sports utility vehicle into a SUV limo. Mm-hmm. Basically, the limo company continued to disobey state orders and, and to stop using it, and they continued to use it. And, and they probably thought they were ne- just never going to get caught, or they're just going to keep doing it. I've seen operations like this in New York, and that, that's just what—that's just. I mean, it's not just New York; it's everywhere, right? Like yeah. until, until you're going to shut me down, good luck shutting me down. Right. The Times Union reported that just a couple of days before the crash, that the limo company, Prestige Limo, actually had the had the car for sale on Craigslist for nine thousand dollars, and in that listing it said the limo was very clean inside, in and out. And DOT ready. And it had 180,000 miles on it. Well, obviously, none of that was true. And probably not even the mileage. Now, some of the most disturbing information about the crash came from the text messages sent out by some of the passengers before they died. And one of the messages said that the sound of the engine was so loud and so obnoxious that they would all be deaf. All the people inside the car, because it was so loud, they they were joking that they were all going to be deaf by the time they got to the place they were going because that engine was so loud. And another uh, text message said they could smell the brakes burning from inside the car. They could smell what what it smelled like burning brakes because they were coming down this hill. And and that's why there was there was some speculation that that the brakes failed or or they just Mm -hmm. didn't work right or whatever. And that's why could just couldn't stop and careened and uh, out of control. Now, there were a couple of couples who left behind some young kids like there was one that left behind, I think, a four year old and a. And a toddler, maybe a, uh, maybe a year and a half. Another one that left, I think, a, a three-year-old um, with no parents. Mm-hmm. And and th- that's where I think about m- now being a father. That's what I think about most often is is the kids. And these kids are are never going to ha- have a have a parent. I, I I don't know about you, but I've 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 rented these limos. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it two weeks ago. I was just in a limo similar yeah, to one of that's these. That's right. Um, and I. And, to be fair, I never had any of the issues that were described in those text messages you were just talking about, right? Right. Um, and I don't know that I would have done something if I did have those kind of issues. If you could hear well, the that's right. What are you going to do? You, yeah, if you can hear the brakes burning up, are you going to ask for another one? Are you going to inconvenience other people? I know. Are you going to be banging on the, on the window there between you and the driver saying, you got to stop and let me out of this thing? Right. Right. And then where do you go? You're in upstate New York. There's nowhere to go. They're right. going to drop you on the side of the road. So, uh, you know. But maybe that's better than obviously being dead. So maybe maybe it'll make somebody think. Uh, I, I've had these li- I, I've had limos, and, and usually it's more convenient than grabbing a cab, or or it's about the same price, and it always seems like it's going to be more luxurious than it really ends up being. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've had some of those limos and town cars that are in pretty bad shape, 
um, where the seats, you can almost feel the springs in the seats because so many people have sat in there and, you know, there's tears in the carpeting or the upholstery and there's just smells in there. And the, the cars aren't, aren't the best. I mean, they're, they're, they're really used hard. Right, right. And so they're not going to be as good as, as your car that you get into every single day. Well, and really, I mean, you would think that the, the service life on them needs to be replaced every three to four years because of how much wear and tear. It's a professionally used vehicle. You're yeah. going to put hundreds of miles on it, theoretically, every single day it's in use. But I guess you got to put the blame on, on the driver because the driver knew about these problems. The driver knew that the brakes weren't working right and probably should have done the right thing and, and pulled—I mean— that person was responsible for all the people in the back and should have stopped and said, I'm sorry, but we can't go anymore because the brakes aren't working right or this thing isn't working or the engine sounds like it's going to explode. We all, we, we should all, it's better if we just do something else. I think you have to wonder how many times he had been in that same vehicle with the same brakes that weren't working and right. just drove it anyway. And, and, and because he was maybe under pressure, that was the one job he had, the one job he could keep. Uh, maybe the owner was saying, look, you're going to get fired if you don't do right. this job, and you need this job, and, and we'll pay you for this, so you just got to keep out there and keep going. And, and I could see that ha- scenario really easy. Um, you know, it's just – it's really sad. It's just it's, – it's horrible. You just – you never really know when it's your time, I guess. Right. You know, you're never guaranteed tomorrow, and – I guess this uh, that whole story proves it. I, I didn't really mean to end on a on a melancholy note here, Joseph. It happens. Um, maybe uh, here. Look, I'll, I'll, here, all right, I'll give you this joke, so we don't end on a on a sad note. Uh, a cop stops a guy for speeding. Asks the man, "Do you, do you know how fast you were going?" The guy answers, "Well, I was just trying to keep up with the speed of traffic." The cop said, "But there is no traffic." The guy answered, "Well, that's how far behind I am." There you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> There you go. There's your there's your uh, driving you crazy podcast joke of the day. Pedal to the metal, baby. There you have it. Well, let's put up. I guess the old cap on this show. Pull the plug on it, baby. And uh, well, stay tuned for next week. There we go. We'll see if we can get some special guests then as well. Well, thanks again for listening. Thanks for being here. Remember to rate, review, repeat uh, on the iTunes or the i whatever that you have and the i listen that you can listen to the show on. Is that right? Is that a thing yet? That's definitely the, a thing. The, the, the i listen. Good. Perfect. Uh, Until next time, I'm Jason Luber, the traffic guy. I'm support squirrel skeptic, Joseph Peters. Be safe, and as always, happy motoring.